As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And I gotta say, man, they tried to write us off, but we ain't right back. We ain't right back. Welcome to the latest edition of Until Saturday Live reaction show i'm ari wasserman joined by my boss colleague mentor uh stuart mandel we are here in las vegas uh, live from the pac-12 championship game the last pac-12 championship game there's ever gonna be washington a 10 point underdog beat oregon 34 to 31 it's gonna be a crazy weekend of football games there's gonna be a lot of college football playoff discourse too uh but this one was cut and dry undefeated washington will now advance to the college football playoff as the Pac-12 champion in the last uh, season of the conference. What was your, you know, takeaway from this game and, you know, what was it like, you know, as a as a person who's covered this conference very closely to to watch the last one of these? Yeah, well, it it's still surreal that it was the last one. It's hard to process, but if it is the last one and it is, uh they couldn't have gone out on a higher note. Uh, this was I've sat through many very dreary Pac-12 championship games, especially when it was back at uh, Levi's, mm-hmm. when there was no playoff stakes or a team went into it with play and then they got, you know, Utah one year had a chance to go playoff and got destroyed. And this was a, you know, a, a massive showdown. Winner goes to the playoff and it delivered. I was at the first Oregon Washington game in Seattle, 36-33, mm-hmm. and it was amazing how similar this one played out. Um, I don't think Bo Nix played as well as he did in the first game, obviously, but Michael Penix, who... Hadn't been quite himself, it seemed like recently. It felt like he was he was back and clicking, at least at the beginning and then the end. He had a rough kind of middle stretch of the game with that interception, but he got them out to that big lead, and Oregon comes roaring back, and then obviously those two touchdown drives to take command of the game again. Just, you know, kudos to Washington. Going 13-0, and mm-hmm. nobody, nobody's done that uh, in the Pac-12, so it was impre- extremely impressive. Yeah, the thing that um, I love about this team well, we were down on the field. It was a very long celebration down there. They were down there for about an hour, and I've been to a lot of these games where there's confetti and yeah. you know hugging and stuff. There was a lot of hugging. There was a lot of confetti, and there was a lot of basking in the moment. But the thing that has stood out to me, Stu, about this team more than anything is, A, that they were really took to heart that they were 10-point underdogs. Um, and if you go back and look at the way that this team has won games the last three times they were out on the field, they faced critical third or fourth down moments in those games in which they could have played conservatively, punted, run clock or whatever. And Kalen DeBoer, uh, Washington's uh, second-year head coach, continually puts the ball in Michael Penix Jr.'s hands, Romo Dunze and 
Jalen McMillan and the players that they have and, you know, the 19-yard rope that he had against Oregon State on the road to ice that game out, the fourth and one from their own 29 last week, and then here they were facing a third and four where they would have punted the ball back to Oregon had they not gotten it and they put it in the air and it was a six-yard completion. Um, so I wanted to, like, talk to you about the doubting thing. Do you think that this team can win a playoff game, and do you think that they could win beyond that, or is it just a fun end to the Pac-12 story? No, you? I do think – I think – I thought whoever won this game had a chance to win games in the playoff. And I felt that way since that October 14th game, uh, Washington in particular though, they just play with the swagger. Mm-hmm. Um, reminds me of great teams of the past. Penix is kind of a natural leader. And I just think anytime you have, and I would use, you know, that Ohio state team last year and CJ Stroud, nobody thought they were going to hang with Georgia and they came within a 50 yard field goal, of possibly beating them. That's what happens when you have an elite quarterback like that. And, you know, I think I don't know what Penix's draft stock is. I don't see him mentioned is going, you know, high in the first round, but watch him throw. And it's, it's sometimes it's, a th- it's just a yeah. thing of beauty. Incredible. And he has such a great connection with his receivers. And then you you called it like Dan Lanning likes to go for it on fourth down too. Dan Lanning yeah. likes to play aggressive. Both of these coaches. But you got to have the right play call. And it just seems like Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb, his OC, seem to always have the right call for the right moment. And so – yeah, we knew they were going to pass on third and four. They weren't going to play conservative. They were just like, got to get, have the play that gets you the yards, and they did. And it, that seems like that's been the theme in all of their close wins. Anybody who listens to this show and, and you're very aware knows that you know I'm a Group A and Group B kind of guy. And if you're not aware of that, Group A are the teams that recruit at a level that is unprecedented. You know, before the last five seven years, and you have other teams that are very good but don't have the talent top to bottom. But the one thing that you just mentioned that I think is undoubtedly true is that if you are a team that's going to hang in a playoff game, if you're a team that can that is going to go toe to toe with a Georgia or Alabama or a team that is built that way, you have to be able to score points. And this team, you know, between Dylan Johnson, the running back, Michael Penix Jr., the quarterback, and Romo Dunze, who we were having a discussion about whether or not he was the best receiver in college football this year, or certainly, you know, goes toe to toe with Marvin Harrison from Ohio State. Um, you know, Jalen Polk, there's a lot of guys on this team and they can score. And that's what makes me excited about watching them. You know, it's like there have been Pac-12 teams that score a ton of points in the past, but, you know, they find a way to win and their offense is always on the field when they win. And that, to me, makes an exciting matchup. And if they play a team like Michigan or Florida State in the first round, like this could be a team that's on the field in Houston on January 8th. It feels a lot different than in 2016. That Washington team that made the playoff and played Alabama, it was kind of like, Good job, guys. Good job getting to the playoff. You knew they weren't going to beat Alabama, and they didn't. They lost 24-7. They didn't have the firepower that this Washington team does. And, you know, I think of the uh, – there have only been two Pac-12 teams to make the playoff. It was that one. The first one was Marcus Mariota's Oregon, Oregon team. team. Yep. If we were to go look that up, I'm guessing that obviously he was a high pick, but that team didn't produce necessarily a lot of high-round draft picks, but they had him. And he was, you know, a record-setting college quarterback. And they went and played that Florida State team, that Jameis Winston Florida State team. Mm-hmm. I think Jalen Ramsey was on that team, like a bunch of dudes on that team. Right. And destroyed them. And it was a case of Oregon had it, you know, had a clicking. And Florida State kind of pussed around that whole year. So, you know, when I look at the field, and obviously this will be outdated here very soon. We don't, we'll see who wins these games on Saturday. But I don't see anybody that's like, you know, 2018 Clemson or 2020 Alabama that, right. like, is just gonna Even the big dogs of the sport kind of have a 
question marks about that. Like we're yeah. sitting here in the press box, uh, you know, past midnight, and I don't know who's going to win the Alabama Georgia game tomorrow. No, no, I, I mean Georgia's still very good. They right, won twenty nine right. games in a row. I'm not gonna, but I do think they're maybe a little more vulnerable than they were the last couple of years, and they certainly haven't been playing Michael Penix and and uh, you know some of these receivers Washington has every week in the SEC. You know, I I think I just like need to give Washington an apology because like I've been saying on this podcast for the past six weeks that they're going to lose. They're not good enough. You know, their defense stinks, you know, and that you ever since that USC game when it was like uh, whoever had the ball last um, was going to win. And like, I'm was like wrong. Like I'm very impressed with this team and I'm very impressed with Kalen DeBoer. And, you know, it's so funny. You and Bruce Feldman do, these rankings every year in the offseason of ranking the top 20 coaches in college football. And, you know, I know there's always some debate about, you know, where coaches started, whether they built programs, what they've won and all this stuff. And I'm looking back at this Washington program and I'm thinking two years ago, I was like scoffing at Jimmy Lake's inability to recruit talent, missing out on five-star prospects from the Seattle area, or at least in the state of Washington. And then he goes and gets Michael Penix and, and ha- uses a previous relationship to, you know, bring a quarterback in here that plays the way that he does. And they have these receivers that are really, really good. And he creates a functional defense. And it's like when you start looking at like program building and, you know, where things are, it's like this is how quickly a coach can go from a hire that kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit to making that list. And he wasn't really a big name by any means. Right. 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 He, he, Football people knew him. He was a great NAIA coach many years ago. But he'd only been the coach at Fresno State for two years. And turned out to just be an exceptional hire. He's won 20 games in a row at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, 9-0 against top 25 teams at Washington. Yeah. Uh, just a great coach. I think, you know, this is skipping ahead, but it's going to be really fascinating to see how he fits into the Big Ten next year. But uh, in, in terms of this year, like, um, I, it, I don't know if there's another team that where you can just pinpoint specific games and, yeah, say, yeah, that was coaching. I mean, the game against Washington State last week, it was insane. They went for it on fourth down. At, what was it? They're on 29? Yeah. High game, late in the game. If you don't get it, you just lost. The, you've handed Washington State the game-winning field goal, ruined your undefeated season, and they had the perfect the perfect play call for it. I, I tweeted this during the game. I don't know if I'm – like, uh, I'm a psychopath, but um, I called him the Mozart of play design. Like, it's just like not just the right call, but they're beautiful. Yeah. Like even when they run trick plays, like that one play, I think it was in the second quarter down there where um, they ran the the reverse throwback yeah. pass. Three, three. Yeah, like when other teams run plays like that, it just is the epitome of what coined the term grab pass. And when they run it, it's just everybody's in the right place. Everybody's running it perfectly, and it looks intentional. And there was one broken tackle away from being going from a nine-yard gain to a touchdown. So There's a reason uh, they're paying Ryan Grubb $2 million a year. Yeah, yeah. well, the, the $2 million cornerback, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the, the, the you know, $2 million coordinator actually coming out there and doing it. But, like, the thing that I love the most, and, you know, I, I've written columns in the past um, about Dan Lanning going forward and the way that he went forward on fourth and five on the, you know, on his own side of the field in the beginning of the second half and got it. Like I am just at the point right now where you have to have a coach that believes in your team, in his own team, in his players. And when you have guys like Penix and Odunze, knowing that not only you can trust them in those moments to execute, but also the second part of that is the design piece. Having the perfect call at the perfect time that 
makes those high leverage moments seem less big because you know you're going to execute a play the other team doesn't have coming. It's different than going for it on fourth and one in a high crucial moment and just running a dive and getting stuffed. When he makes these calls, you have this feeling that it's going to work because he has something in his bag that the other coach isn't ready for. And it happens time and time again. And given a month to prepare, like I even made the mistake earlier today thinking to myself, man, if I could like match up um, Kalen DeBoer's ability to do this with a group, a roster, what that would look like. And then I caught myself and thought that's disrespectful. Like these guys are every bit as good as those yeah. teams that they're going to be playing. And like they made a believer out of me. I, I was like, a, that's the, how I felt coming off. So that's how I felt coming off the, the first one covering that Washington, Oregon game in Seattle. I was sold. I, I even wrote a column saying, I think they could win the national championship. And then they immediately went into a tailspin. <laughs> they had that weird 15 to seven game against Arizona state. Yeah. They gave up a ton of yards to Stanford. They, they USC kind of had to outscore them basically. Like they just hadn't yet played again, played at the level they did that game until tonight. And I don't think it's a coincidence that other than Adunze, their other receivers have all been injured at some point and they're all finally healthy again in time for this game. And it just seemed like their offense clicked. And then the other big thing is Dylan Johnson. I, this might've been his best game of the season. You know, he ran yeah. for a lot of yards yeah. on USC, but everybody runs no, for these a lot were of yards tough yards. These were like yeah. tough, big yards. Yeah. So yeah. He had a good game in the first uh, Oregon game, but not like tonight. And so you get the run game going with him, then that's a pretty tough offense to stop. Yeah, and it's like, you know, your house, our house, neutral field, getting it done. So um, I'm very excited to watch this team play, and, and certainly speaking as we go into the Saturday and Sunday and we try to figure out who's going to make the playoff, um, it's going to be an interesting dynamic just knowing that they're there. Now, I would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about the playoff, but first, is there anything from the Oregon side of things that we can learn, um, you know, about – Dan Lanning and his team, it's like when you think about the way we're talking and glowing about Washington, they've earned that. They deserve that. Yeah. But like you think about Oregon and being one or two plays away from being in the same position, it kind of, you know, reminds you about how thin the margins are in the sport sometimes, too. I mean, they played two games against each other and each one was by three points. So, you know, and one was in Seattle and one was on a neutral field. So they're like, this is not how it works, but if Washington comes is watch the number three seed in the playoff. You could say, well, then maybe Oregon should be number four. It's not going to work that way because they have two losses. But these two teams are separated by this much, and sometimes it comes down to. I mean, they missed a field goal at the end of the the game in Seattle. Um, I thought this game turned when Penix threw that interception. Yeah, and you thought all oh, the wheels are coming it's over, off. Yeah, and then Bo Nix turns around and throws an interception, which he almost never does. So you know, if the, if he doesn't, the game the game might play out differently. They're a really good team. Uh, I think both of these teams showed their top five teams. Oregon's not going to make the playoff. Um, somebody, somebody, you know, fill this thing out. But they got nothing to be ashamed of. And they'll go play probably in the Fiesta Bowl. I doubt we'll see Bo Nix in that game, though he kind of stiff-armed that question afterward. Yeah, but a very funny answer. It was a very funny answer, but then later... I don't know if it's the same question or another one. He kept talking in the past tense about being a college football player. So yes, yeah. it kind of told me we won't be seeing him in the ballgame. Yeah. Um, so now I'm like thinking like, and I don't know if I'm just like sick, but I've been thinking for a while now about all these crazy playoff scenarios. So we have no debate because like my number one nightmare was if Oregon wins this game and Texas wins their game, 
that we'd be having a discussion about which one lost team should be left out. So that's one more spot that's taken by a team that's not part of the debate. So now you're going to have to, can we assume that Michigan's probably going to beat Iowa? So those two teams will probably be in there. Um, Florida State has a big game, but it looks like we're getting closer to the cleanest possible scenario, which is four unbeaten power five teams, which has never happened. So yeah. it would be historic. But again, like even when, even when these guys were 10 point or nine and a half point underdogs, they still stayed undefeated. So that has been the theme. So should we be surprised Saturday if all the undefeated teams win again? Probably yeah. not. But yeah, this, this helped make it cleaner. If Florida state loses, then I think it becomes very clean. Uh, but of course, Alabama would, I think if Alabama wins, it kind of mucks the whole thing up because there'll be arguments that Georgia should stay in the top four, right? right? There'll be arguments that Texas should be in over, you know, like that just Alabama beating Georgia creates a lot of weird scenarios. Yeah. When you think about two, one lost teams uh, or three lost or three, one lost teams being compared to one another on Sunday and then one chosen and no matter who you pick, the other team got screwed. It's just like a, it's kind of a bad taste in your mouth if you're a four-team playoff person. I've been a four-team playoff person. You know, watching this game here um, this evening was a playoff game, and it felt great, you know. And, you know, for people who wanted the 12-team playoff, like we actually kind of have it now if it all works out in the way that it's supposed to. But if it doesn't work out in the way that it's supposed to, then you have chaos and teams being left out when they shouldn't be. That creates angst as we go into the offseason into next year and – Maybe rightfully so. Well, I think the committee's actually gotten very lucky over the years. They yeah, haven't yeah. had the first year was messy. Uh, the the year where Penn State had two losses but had beaten Ohio State, who had one loss, was messy. But usually, it just seems to work out where there's a clear cut four, and it, it could happen again here. Um, I'll tell you what hasn't happened. It, like if Texas wins, I do have sympathy for it. If Texas wins and doesn't make the playoff. In any other year, that, that team makes the playoff. Without a twelve and one team. Yeah, without even their only loss was to a ten win team. Like it's not even a. Thought. And they've got the golden ticket to the Willy Wonka factory, which is a ten point win on the road yeah. at Alabama. Like, like it's, it's not even a debate. Hard to fathom that that team wouldn't make it, but they might not this year just because it's a, such a crowded field. But uh, there hasn't been a team like that. Like Ohio State got left out in twenty eighteen. They were twelve yeah. and one Big Ten champ, but they had that terrible loss to Purdue. So I don't think there are a lot of people like what an injustice that Ohio State didn't make the playoff. Right. But I think Alabama, I mean, sorry, Texas would would have a reason to feel like, yeah, we got job. And, and like the thing is, is that like if Alabama ends up winning, people will be like the last two teams in one beat the other on the road by double digits. What are we talking about? And I think it's important to remind people that's not how the committee works. They're not just going to compare Alabama and Texas. They're going to uh, view their entire bodies of work. And then Alabama will, of course, have a win over Georgia, which would be the best win in the country. Right. And that could vault them up to number two, thus leaving the, the number four debate between and, Texas and, and somebody Texas else. Unfortunately, doesn't get a chance to have a great final statement, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't think that Oklahoma State team's very good. I know they're, they're ranked yeah. in the top 20, but um, I'll just, they lost 45 to three to UCF not that long ago. So it's not, that doesn't gonna, it's not gonna wow people. It's really all they can do tomorrow is like, Get that stamp on the resume that says conference champion. Undefeated or one loss conference champion. Conference champion. Yeah. We're told conference championships matter. So if, for instance, Alabama beats Georgia, Florida State cuts out of the picture, and the fourth spot is between 12 and 1 Georgia and 12 and 1 Texas, in theory, the conference champion should prevail. But we don't, you know, they could do whatever they want. Catherine is in the chat saying that she doesn't understand how you do not directly compare a team that beat another team. 
and you've done the mock playoff committee, right? Where you go in there and pretend like you're on it. You vote in pools, okay? So you don't just sit there and look at one team versus another. You rank, I believe, your top three, and then that formulates a top three. Then you rank your four through six. So there's never a discussion of head-to-head who won the game. It's not like as simple and cut and dry as that. So if Alabama beats Georgia, funny enough, they will have the best win in the country and probably vault up to number two potentially or number three. And then the fourth spot won't be between Texas and Alabama, even though Texas beat them. It's a very complicated system. It's not like if it were to come down to final rankings came out and it was like Alabama four, Texas five, people yeah. should rightfully lose their minds. Like, yes. How can you do that? But right? Alabama would most but certainly think, be three if they won yeah, that game. Absolutely. And then whoever is four, then then you have a discussion about that. Now, the I mean, one they thing. They move up to two. Like, yeah. they would have four, I believe, four top 25 wins, and they would have beaten number one Georgia in their last game. Yeah. And so I think what the. that. But the irony is, here, though, Stu, is that if that happens, then Texas's win over Alabama becomes a shining badge of honor that is dismissed. I don't know about dismissed, but. Well, if they're left out or not. Not enough. What they would tell you is it was a great win, but we can't judge the teams off one game. We have to judge them off 13, and, and yeah. Alabama's 13 would have been better than Texas's 13. I hope it doesn't come down to that. And, of course, the easiest way would be Georgia. Win- if Georgia wins, Florida State loses, Texas takes care of business against Oklahoma State, Texas is in. Then Texas is in, and then it's 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 a very clean thing. So let me, let me just do one thing before we get out of here because we're 20 minutes in, and this is going to be a brief show. But the one thing that I was pondering today as I was taking a shower before this game, got a lot of deep thoughts in the shower, the warm water trickling down. (laughs) It's been a long day, guys. Um, Is this the committee, as you noted, hasn't been put in a scenario. They've been very lucky. They haven't been put in a scenario where they have to make a tough decision that there is a clear and identifiable loser that should not have been left out, but there's no spots. Now, I'm not going to have a tinfoil hat on here, but if the committee is put into a position that it's never been put in before, coming off what Bill Hancock said very clearly to Heather Dinich earlier this week about we're not trying to put in the four most deserving, we're trying to put in the four best. Is it possible that if no matter what way you do this, one team is absolutely going to be screwed, for lack of a better word, is it possible, and Lord forgive me, that they might screw Florida State. It's possible. As an undefeated team if they it's, end up winning. It's possible. I, today when we saw the reports that Tate Rodemaker might be out too, I thought to myself, oh, you know, I guess it's just not meant to be their year. And then I thought, if they win, if they beat, because they're not playing, uh, you know, eight and 14. They're most certainly they're playing able to win the game. They're playing 10-2 Louisville, right? And if they can win that game with a third-string quarterback who hasn't played all year, you shouldn't dock them. You should like make them the number one seed. Like they must be really good that they're still able to win despite that. Yeah, I just like keep thinking to myself that if there is an injustice where Texas is the odd man out at five, what draws the line or the distinction between screwing one team or the other? You're going to mess it up somehow because you have no choice. I don't know. I've always been your undefeated power five champ. You're automatically in. But if they are a top 15 team and not a top four team in gambling power ratings, and everybody knows with their eyes that it's not a team that is probably equipped to play on that stage, do you reward a team like Texas who beat Alabama, 
on the road in this scenario where Alabama is the SEC champion. You got to remember that your brain rewires a little bit with that Alabama win. Would you feel more? Let me ask you, Stu, if you were on the, on the committee, would you be more comfortable leaving Texas out in this scenario or Alabama or Florida state unbeaten in this scenario? I, I would, I would keep Florida state. And and here's the thing, like that thing, Bill Hank, I love Bill, but you know, the thing about them, we don't do most deserve and we do best is not accurate. I mean, they may think they do that, but no, they do most deserving. And here's a great example of that. Iowa, you mentioned power ratings. Iowa is ranked like 38th in one of the S&P, Sagarin, all those. They're like 31st, 33rd, 38th. They're 15th in the committee rankings. Why are they 15th? Because they're 10 and 2. It has nothing to do with the actual performance of how good the team is. Well, they've won 10 and they've lost 2. And we can't, we, we think they're, you know, they should be slotted here. That's what they do. They slot teams based on who deserves to be where. And so if Florida State gets to 13 and 0, despite the adversity, which I'm sure they'll use that phrase. No, I don't I don't think you can leave them out. Well, I think that this is one way to close this out here. Aaron Pennington, one of our uh, most loyal listeners. We appreciate you, Aaron, and, and Catherine, and all you guys, Matthew, who are in here. We can sit here and say, well, we know Florida State isn't going to win. But that's exactly what we were saying about yeah. Washington today. Yeah, you can't saw, uh, you can't play. I picked Oregon. I saw somebody in one of the comments of one of my stories say, like, you can't put Florida State in because they're just going to get killed in the playoff game. And it's like. Uh, look at the list of playoff games over the years yeah. and all the teams that have been killed in a play. Yeah. If that's your bar, like nobody, we can't let anybody in that might get crushed. You should just maybe stop holding the thing. Yeah. There's no legislating out. I mean, 10 out of 10 people would have had TCU in the playoff last year. It's easy to go back now and say, they just weren't as good as those other teams, et cetera. Like, first of all, they beat Michigan in the semifinal. They were 13 and one at that point. Like, yeah, they lost sixty-five to seven. That doesn't mean they shouldn't have been in there. So I'm with Aaron. You can't yeah. you can't go by like, well, I'm picking if Florida State. If Florida State plays Georgia, they're going to lose by seventeen points. I don't know what's going to happen if Florida State plays Georgia. The games have to matter, you know. And if I'm going to sit here as an arrogant four-team playoff person, propping up the regular season as this yeah. holy thing that we can't disrupt. Then we have to make those games yeah, matter. So 13 and 0 in the regular season in a power conference, having beaten LSU, who may have the Heisman winner. You know, I like I said, they're going to end with a 10 win team here, and be like, uh, "Well, that was nice, guys, but we just have a hunch. <laughs> we have a hunch. <laughs> we're 13 people in a room, and we have a hunch that you're not actually one of the four best teams anymore. Yeah. So we're going to leave you out, and we're going to bring in this team that did lose a game. I think it's an interesting thing to think about, though, because. Stu, as funny as it is, if Alabama were to win, and I know people are like, why are all these journalists saying Alabama? Nobody said they're going to win. If they win, they are going to be making a subjective decision one way or the other. They're going to have to pick between Alabama or Texas or Florida State. All these teams are going to be, one team is going, there's no. There's a scenario where Alabama and Texas both get in. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. I don't, what's that? What's that path? Get Florida State out of there. So it's Michigan, Washington. Alabama, Alabama and Texas. Texas. I think that I actually think the decision they would have to make is Georgia versus Texas. Yeah, that to me is cut and dry. Um, but dry yeah, you, but you're talking about one team they currently have ranked number one, the other they currently have ranked number seven. And so, well, like to me, it's like if if Georgia were to lose and get in, like what's the distinction between Ohio State and Georgia at that point? They both lost. Yeah, to their to the one team in the conference that rivals them. 
and they don't have a lot of, you know. Well, the distinction uh, would be that they've won 20, uh, 29 games in a row. Well, last year doesn't matter, I thought. It doesn't, but they're human beings in that yeah. room. Well, as you can see, this is going to be a crazy discussion as we continue on into Saturday. Thank you guys so much for staying up late for us. Stuart's been talking about playing craps with me all night. <laughs> this is a guy who's ready to gamble. Um, it's going to be late, but we're going to be around all day on Saturday. I don't know if we're going to go live or not, but we will have um, our usual Saturday night reaction show after all the games come to a close with me and David Ubbin. Um, and I'll be around all day Saturday. Enjoy that game. Thank you so much again for you know partic- participating in the uh, online live reaction shows. This will be in the podcast feed as well. If you're a YouTube-only uh, watcher right now and you want to get the podcast, find Until Saturday wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're listening to this on Saturday night or Sunday morning and you want to watch YouTube when we go live on Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday, all the links will be found in the show's description. For Stuart Mandel, I'm Ari Wasserman. Why don't we go play some blackjack? Let's go to sleep. All right. <laughs> all right bye, guys. Thank you. Thank you.